Well, have you guys ever experienced a moment that should have been 100% pure joy, but instead you found that supposed to be a little bit conflicting and confusing? All right, so I want you to think about for you what that moment is. Like you went in with an expectation of joy, but instead you got a little bit of confusion and internal conflict. So for me, when I think about that kind of space, I think about uh, the birth of our first daughter the one that made me a dad, right? So this was 15 years ago this month. And man, we were obviously so excited as we, as you would be, but we were also just a little bit nervous also as you would be. But more than anything, man, we were anticipating that day, looking forward to that joyous day of her arrival. And that day came, and as that often goes, it was a long process of delivery. And as you engage in that process of delivery, we had this moment where the medical staff came to us and they interrupted our joy. They came to us and they said, we need to let you know that there's some complications that are developing. And that's never what you want to hear in that space. And they assured us that everything was going to be okay, but that we needed to be aware that this was going to go a little bit differently than what we probably had expected. And so they prepared us from that point forward that when her arrival came, that there would be a team of pediatricians that joined us in the room. And the team of pediatricians would take her away from us and they would go to another part of the room where they would attend to her specific needs. So you can imagine that our nerves turned a little bit more into fear as they prepared us that we shouldn't expect this to be kind of the movie scene kind of appearance where they, they take the newborn baby and they place it in the eager mom's arms, right? No, no, no. They're going to take her away and they're going to work on her in ways that they need to. And so our, our excitement was met with a bit of concern and our normal nervousness became a, a bit of fear. And I will tell you, man, as a first time dad for me, there was a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot of internal conflict that entered into this space of joy. And so then she arrived as we had expected and as promised at this point, the medical team came in and these pediatricians took her to another part of the room and they're doing what they needed to do with her. And for me in those moments, man, the conflict and the confusion, they were at an all time high because I remember so vividly being torn, like over here in this room felt massive and huge at this point, right? Over here is my wife who is exhausted and who needs me. And over here is my brand new baby, baby girl, my brand new born baby girl who is in need too, right? And so I felt so confused. There was joy for sure in the moment, but man, there was not very much peace. Now, ultimately, everything turned out to be just fine. Everything turned out to be just fine, and the 100% pure joy that was anticipated was delivered. But I will never forget those moments and the, the, the confusion and the internal conflict that I felt in that space that I expected to just be joy. Now this morning, we're talking about joy and peace. And as we do, I want you to think about this. Like, we all want joy and peace, don't we? Like, we all want our lives to be characterized by joy, this idea of something that's, that's deeper and more solid than happiness. It's bigger than happiness. And it's enduring, right? It can't be taken away from us. And we, we want our lives to be characterized by peace, this idea of assurance and confidence and a sense of comfort that, that is there and is existent regardless of what's going on around us. We want this joy. We want this peace. And we want our lives to be characterized by these two Christian virtues. But the truth is that the troubles of this world, struggles, and loss and grief make it so hard for us to perpetually live in that space of peace and joy. Because the truth is, not everything always turns out to be okay. 
See, oftentimes the confusion and the conflict doesn't go away as quickly as it did in my story. So how is it that we as followers of Jesus fight for peace and fight for joy when the moments turn into months? How do we engage in this battle for joy and peace when the conflict and the the confusion seems to endlessly persist in our hearts and in our minds? I want you to turn with me this morning to John 16, 16. John 16, 16 in the New Testament of the Bible. The New Testament begins with Matthew. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four are the four Gospels. These Gospels tell the good news of the birth, the life, the ministry, the miracles, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be in John chapter 16, verse 16. And if you need a Bible this morning, we would love to send you home with one out of our Welcome Center. Go by this morning. The volunteers will give you one. It's the same English version that we teach from, but we also have Spanish versions as well. So this morning, as Michelle told you, we're continuing our journey with Jesus through the Gospel of John. Week by week by week for months, we've been looking at Jesus as John has shared with us about his life, his ministry, his miracles. And we're getting to the point where we're approaching his death and his resurrection. And before Jesus' death on the cross, we see him meeting with his closest followers. And in this story of John 16, 16, Jesus' closest followers, the disciples, are utterly confused But we see them move from completely confused to deeply confident. And I want us to see, like, what made the difference? How do they go from confusion to confidence? What is the difference maker in them? And what you'll see in these verses is that Jesus is teaching about joy and peace. And so we get to listen in as he does. Start with me in verse 16 and pay particular attention to the disciples' confusion. Jesus went on to say to them, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And he's referring here to his death and his resurrection. You won't see me, then you will see me. Death and resurrection. And at this, some of his disciples said to one another, and what does he mean? What does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. And they kept asking, what does he mean? What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying, and you get this sense that the disciples are so utterly confused. Verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Verse 20, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. What he's referring to here is his crucifixion and his burial. When the world celebrates what they have done in killing Jesus, the disciples of Jesus will be in lament. They will be grieved because their master and friend has been killed. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. What he's talking about here is the resurrection in the empty tomb. Their deep grief will be transformed into great joy because their Savior, their Master, will defeat death. He will resurrect from the dead and he will be alive again. And then in verse 21, Jesus gives this amazing and brilliant illustration. Listen to the words of Jesus to describe what it looks like to have grief turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain. Because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born to the world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but you will see me again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away. 
And so what Jesus does in these moments is he meets their confusion with comfort and he gives them some greatly comforting promises. Verse 20, look back at it. He says, your grief will turn to joy. What a beautiful promise that is for us as followers of Jesus. Your grief will turn to joy. Verse 22, man, you will rejoice. You will worship. You will be filled with joy and no one will take away this joy. This joy cannot be taken from you, stolen from you. And so Jesus is speaking here to them and to us about a lasting joy and a lasting peace that clearly defies circumstances. Like whatever the world throws at us, our joy and our peace will persist, unable to be stolen from us. Like, I think we, we all want that. You want that kind of joy, right? You want that kind of, of peace. But let's be honest. Real life and the sorrows and trouble and loss and grief that we experience makes that really hard to realize. So what's the secret to this kind of joy? What's the secret to this kind of peace? I want you to skip down to verse 28. John 16, 28 is an incredible verse of Scripture. It says this, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. I want you to listen to that one more time so that you can see how truly incredible this one verse actually is. I came, Jesus, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. And this one verse, John 16, 28, is really like a summary of the entire gospel message in one verse. In fact, Pastor Tim Keller calls this one verse a summary of the entire Bible. Like Genesis to Revelation, this is what it's all about. And this simple summary of John 16, 28, it tells us the unhidden secret to unquenchable Christian joy and peace. Like you want to know what the secret is, I want you to look closely at this because this one verse, this summary verse, actually has four important and powerful parts. So what are the four parts of this one verse? It's first this, that Jesus came from the Father. This truth speaks to Jesus' divinity, right? That he is divine. He came from the Father. In essence, he is of the Father. This is a claim that he is the second person of the Holy Trinity, God the Son, that he is fully God. The second part says this, Jesus entered into the world. So you have God entering into the world, the creator entering into creation. And this truth here speaks of Jesus' incarnation or his birth, that Jesus was humbly born as a human. It's a clear claim that the one who is fully God is also fully human. This is a miracle of miracles. Jesus, the Christ, is fully God and fully man, God born into earth. But then part three, Jesus says this, I am leaving the world. And so this truth speaks into the crucifixion and the death of Christ, right? He is leaving this world. He is going to die a physical death on the cross, and he will be buried in a grave. It's a clear warning to his followers that Jesus is about to voluntarily give up his life. Yes, voluntarily. It was not taken from him. It was given by him. And then that leads us into part four. So Jesus came from the Father. He entered into the world. He is now leaving the world, but Jesus is going to go back to the Father. And this simple truth speaks to Jesus' ascension, that he will rise up in bodily form from the earth back into the heavens at the right hand of God the Father where he belongs. This is speaking to his ascension or his glorious rising into heaven after his miraculous and glorious resurrection from the dead. And so this is a clear promise that Jesus will have the ultimate victory, that he will forever defeat death and forever defeat sin. 
And so you have this amazing summary of the gospel that's not really a secret at all. And we begin to see this, that Jesus is the the non-secret secret, right? That he's the never-ending source of joy and peace. That Jesus is the key to all of this. If we want this unquenchable Christian joy and peace to characterize our life, the key to all of this is Jesus Christ. And yet, let's be honest enough with one another this morning to admit the truth. That the troubles and sorrows and loss and grief of this world and the real life that we experience makes it really, really hard to understand and hard to hold on to in light of the things that we face and experience. And so we go back to John 16 and we find Jesus' disciples completely confused. Look at verse 28. Let's reread it and look at the verses around it. Jesus said, I came from the Father, entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then... Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Like now, after all the life lived together, after all the miracles, after all the authority, after all the truth, after all the lessons, now... Now you believe and understand that Jesus came from God? The disciples move from being completely confused to deeply confident in this space. Why? Very simply, what made the difference was this. It's Jesus, right? Go back to the gospel of John 28. It's his life and death and resurrection and ascension and his ultimate victory over death that creates this clarity and this confidence in their very troubled hearts. It's incredible, isn't it? But if only, if only, if only it was that easy. Only it was that easy for us. And also, honestly, for them. Look back to John 16, 30. The disciples said, this makes us believe that you came from God. And Jesus, I believe, with a hint of sarcasm, said, oh, do you now believe? Now you get it. Jesus replied, And a time is coming, in fact, a time has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. And Jesus is warning his disciples before the crucifixion that when he goes to the cross, they will be so scared, they will be so scattered that they will be like fear-filled field mice that scurry all across as they run from what they're facing And what you see in this is that it is so normal for Jesus' followers, people who know the truth, people who believe the truth, it is so normal for Jesus' followers to also struggle for peace and struggle for joy. So if you find yourself in a battle for this never-ending, unquenchable, cannot-be-stolen joy and peace, you're in good company, right? If John, the apostle, struggled, if Peter, the apostle, struggled, then why wouldn't you and why wouldn't I? But Jesus is preparing them and us in this passage. He's preparing us for this struggle. He's getting us ready for this battle. And John 16, are the battle words. It's the battle cry. Look at John 16, with me, and let's get everything we can out of these words. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Listen to me, disciples. In this world, 
you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You see, when we come to the point that we realize that Jesus is truly all we need, like, and often we, we come to that point of realizing that Jesus is all we need when we get to the point that we realize that Jesus is all that we have. And he's all that we have left to take hold of and to hold on to. It's in that space, it's in that reality that we begin to understand, man, that our peace and that our joy is rooted in relationship with the resurrected one. When your master, your boss, your friend, your brother, the one that you follow has been raised from the dead and defeated death forever, that brings about joy and peace and confidence. And so we want to lean in and listen to these words of Jesus. We want to hear these words that he told us as he told us that in him we will have peace. And so very quickly this morning, I want to show you three quick things that, that we hold on to from John 16, as we prepare for the struggle, as Jesus prepares us for this battle. So Christ follower, here it is. Number one, you will have trouble. So embrace the hard. Right, what this tells us is that as followers of Jesus, we are not exempt or immune from the troubles of this life. If you hear a, a message that teaches anything different than that, it is a lie. There is trouble for the followers of Jesus. It's inevitable. Joy and peace are going to be a battle for us. If you are finding yourself having a battle for these things, take courage. This is exactly what Christ prepared us for. No, they cannot be stolen. They will not be taken away. They will not be destroyed. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to have to fight for them. And so we lean into the hard as followers of Jesus. We embrace the hard things because, man, that's where we find Jesus. And that's where we find Jesus at his best. Like if you've been through hard things, you know that that's where God shines. And God uses those moments to grow us, to develop us, and to fortify our faith. And we experience him in real and tangible ways in the struggle that we do not experience otherwise. So you will have trouble and embrace the hard. Truth number two is this, like take heart. Listen to these words of Jesus. Take heart and cling to Christ. Here's the image that I have in my mind with this. It's hold on tight to Jesus because he says here, in me, you will have peace. So hold on to him. He is our source. He is our assurance. You won't find this kind of joy, this kind of peace in yourself. You will not find this kind of joy, this kind of peace in any other substance of any kind. He is the one and the only way. And in the face of these, this world's troubles, in the face of the sorrow and the loss and the grief that we will inevitably experience, man, he is the anchor for our souls. Because truth number three, he has overcome. He has overcome for us to live in his love. And so, man, don't just believe these truths in your head, but let these truths sink deep into the depths of your heart and your soul. And so we live with confidence. We live like we know and actually believe that this is true, that Christ has overcome, right? That, that our, our God has defeated death and that he has the ultimate victory that in face of anything that we face, this truth will always be true that Christ is an overcomer. Even when we don't feel it, even when it's hard to believe it, we live like we, we know it with confidence in our head and our heart that Jesus Christ has overcome and we live in the promise of all of his love. And I want to take you back 
to how Jesus made sense of all of this. He gave a brilliant illustration in verse 21 that describes how grief and pain turns to joy, right? And when I think about Jesus' illustration, man, it makes me think about how 15 years ago I became a dad, right? When my oldest was born. He said a woman's pain and childbirth turns into joy, and we experienced that. We saw that. And as brilliant as Jesus' illustration is, the truth is it doesn't always go that way. So I want you to hear this morning from someone that I love and respect deeply, who has deep peace and joy, but man, she's had to fight for it, and she's fought the good fight in the face of her circumstances, because her joy and her peace are rooted in Jesus. I want you to hear the story of a person who, after the pain of childbirth, actually had a baby that was lost. Y'all, this is Mary. And you may recognize Mary. Mary is our student minister, and so typically when she's up on this stage, uh, it involves a whole lot of fun and nonsense. Um, But this morning, I want you to hear her story of grief turned to joy. So Mary, uh, tell us about the journey that you guys have walked. Well, almost 11 years ago, Nathan and I were expecting our third child, Hannah, Sarah was three or five at the time, and Caleb was three, and they were both so excited to be a big brother and big sister. Um, she already had cute little onesies embroidered with her name on them, and the nursery was ready to go. What you need to know is we never named our kids until we saw them. And so Hannah, her name, her first name was settled on, and we had it everywhere, and I was so excited. We had plans and dreams about being a family of five and bringing her home around the holidays. Um, Hannah came, but not as we expected. I had been shopping all day, and by the end of the day, I was tired, like any other 37-week expectant mama would be. And when I went home to rest, I realized that the baby wasn't moving like she normally would. She was normally very active. And I was really confused because I had just gone to the doctor that week, and everything was perfectly fine. I tried all the tricks in the book. I tried to get her to move, but nothing was working. And so I knew something was wrong. And I called our doctor, who was in Houston, and of course they wanted us to come right away to the hospital. We didn't really tell many people we were going, um, but I remember getting in the car, and that was the longest ride that we'd ever had um, to Houston. We were both very quiet, very scared, prayed, very nervous about what was coming. Um, When we got to the hospital, the nurse, sweet nurse, tried and tried so many times to find a heartbeat, but she couldn't find one. And it was so weird because I just heard that washing machine sound just earlier that week, and I just thought, her machine's not working, like, what's the deal? And she kept trying, Um, but it was just silent. And finally, I begged her, can you please just go get the doctor? Still... It was quiet. There was no heartbeat. There was no explanation of why this healthy pregnancy suddenly ended. They thought maybe it was a cord accident. Maybe there was some unknown cause. We prayed and cried for a miracle. I mean, I knew God was big. I knew he could change things. I knew he could give her a heartbeat, but that wasn't part of the plan. This will mark one of the most dark in devastating days and months that we as a family could ever remember. Our baby girl would need to be delivered and not by a C-section. We are going to have to walk through the long process of delivery. 
I just wanted to go home. I wanted to get it over with as fast as possible. I remember thinking, I'm going through all of this, and at the end of the day, we're going to leave without Hannah. It just didn't make sense. I'd already delivered two healthy babies. This isn't how it was supposed to be. I wanted to see her eyes. I wanted to hear her cry. I wanted to go home with a baby. And so you can imagine what it was like to have our kids visit us in the hospital and have to tell them, Hannah's not coming home. Um, she was born in heaven. And so we decided to name her Hannah Faith after a verse that we strongly believed in in Hebrews that says, Hebrews 11, 1 and 6, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I'll never forget talking with Randy and Greg around our dining room table that week as we were planning our service for Hannah and asking them, where is God in all of this? I just don't get it. And they reassured us that we would see him and that he would show himself. And he did. He loved us through family, through our friends, through our small group, through our church, in ways that we had no idea that we needed. I was usually that person. I was used to being on the other side of loving and serving our church. But this time God said, no, you're going to sit and I want to show myself to you in a different way. Our friends walked us through her service and worshiped with us in one of the most hardest days of our lives while our hearts were breaking. When I think back to that time almost 11 years ago, I think of our Christian foundation. I'm so thankful that Nathan and I both grow up, grew up in Christian homes where we believed what the Bible said, grew up knowing scripture, and I feel like we, we were doing that, we were living that already, but in times like that, man, it came to fruition. There was a song that I put on repeat most mornings after I came home from the hospital and played over and over, and I wanna read you some of the words. And it said, Lord, I've seen your goodness, and I know the way you are. Give me eyes to see you in the dark. And your face shines a glory that only I know in part. And there is still a longing, a longing in my heart. You revive me, Lord. All my deserts are rivers of joy. You are the treasure I could not afford. So I'll spend myself till I'm empty and poor. All for you. My soul is thirsty. Only you can satisfy you are the well that never will run dry, and I'll praise you for the blessing, for calling me your friend. And in your name, I'm lifting, lifting up my hands. When I wanted to run from all the questions, and there were a lot, when I wondered and tried to second guess and what if the situation that happened all the time, and it still does sometimes, the roller coaster of postpartum emotions and hormones, all I knew to do was to lean in. When I didn't know what to say or how to pray or how to answer that phone call or the text that came through, sometimes I just sat in silence. Some days I read my Bible or journaled. I knew that God had been faithful. I had seen it. I had witnessed it in my own life and people around me, and I knew and trusted that he would be faithful again. 
And I knew, honestly, that deep down that God would provide another baby. And so when often asked, has Jesus turned my grief to joy? I think the answer is yes, but sometimes often no. Um, There are still days and weeks and anniversaries and birthdays that are super difficult. Um, It's so hard still sometimes to understand the why behind everything. Um, Hannah is a part of our family story. You know that. You've been there with us through it all. And we welcome questions in our house. Um, I love when our kids ask, like, what do you think her personality would have been like? Or would we have had to share a room? Or would she be outside with us playing right now? Like, what do you think she would be doing? And it's hard, and sometimes it makes me stop in the middle of cooking or cleaning or whatever I'm doing, but man, I love that she's a part of our family story. It's part of all of us. There's still a longing in my heart for four kids. I've often questioned, should I adopt to try to fill that void? Nathan and I have struggled with that. I've often wondered, does God just want us to have three kids? And even if we did adopt, I know that we would still miss her greatly. Um, Grief is a weird word, right? Like, I never really knew what it was or how to embrace it. It's so hard to understand. But I believe and have come to believe that even in the middle of our grief, we have a choice. We can sit and be bitter. We can be angry or resentful. We can choose to share what God is doing right in the middle of our struggle. And looking back over that time, yeah, it's 11 years later, but man, there were so many times people would um, want to know more about our story or have a story that related or Nathan would be able to share with his coworkers what was going on. And it just, in ways we couldn't have orchestrated, it deepened friendships, it deepened our relationships. And I can only say that that's because of God and the things he was doing in our family's life. Um, Not only were we able to share stories with people, but we had different opportunities. And one of them um, came shortly after Hannah was born. I dreamed since college of going to Africa. And Brazos Point started taking trips to Kenya. And um, I was never able to go because I was pregnant or something was going on. And that summer after she was born, um, they were taking a trip and I was able to go with one of my dearest friends. And how to face all of this, you know? Like, how do you hold on to Jesus in the face of grief? It's hard. And there's a lot of things that I would love to sit down over a cup of coffee and tell you. But one of the things I think that stands out to me the most is that we all walk through it differently. It looks different in all of our lives and in all of our stories, but we were never meant to carry it by ourselves. I think our world encourages us to be independent and self-sufficient and I have it all together. But in our weakness, like Randy said earlier, God's strength shines brightest. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to be in community with other believers. Not only so they can celebrate the good things that come your way and things that happen to your family or to you or to your kids, it's so awesome to be able to share that and walk that road of joy with other people. But at the same time, you need community to walk through grief and to walk through the hard things and to help carry the load. We need each other. We need to be vulnerable and we need to share our stories. Not just so that we can say, 
and, and to share that story, but man, so that people can see and understand God's goodness, so they can see his faithfulness, and ultimately so they could get to know who Jesus is. I am so thankful that his faithfulness isn't built on my faithfulness. And so to those of you in the room who haven't walked through something hard, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you wanna look at it, Randy reminded us this morning that Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I, Jesus, has overcome the world. And in those hard times and in those hard moments, that's when we learn that true joy and true peace they aren't built on things, but they're built, and they're not built on feelings, right? Joy and peace only come from the Lord and can be found in the middle of darkness. Mary, as we close out this portion of the service before we just sing our faith and worship, I wanna ask you if you would pray over everyone here and especially pray for those who are facing their own struggle and troubles today. God, I just stand before you um, just in a place of hard for the people in this room that may be walking through something that's super difficult. Um, God, I just pray that right now that even in the middle of hard, Lord, that they would lean into you, that they would seek you, they would look to you, they would be vulnerable with the people that you've placed in their, their lives to love them, to help carry hard things with them and help us to remember that, man, we don't have to have it all together. You're waiting for us to come to you, to bring the hard, just to lay it at your feet so that you can love us well. And God, help us to remember how to love those around us who are going through the hard. Help us to slow down. Help us to be good listeners. Help us to be good huggers. And God, I thank you so much that your faithfulness doesn't depend on our faith and faithfulness and that you, Jesus, give true peace and true joy. And it's in your precious